As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. Welcome to the latest edition of Until Saturday Live reaction show, week seven. I'm Ari Wasserman, joined by Dave Ubbin, as always. Pac-12 day. I, I think there are a lot, a, a lot of Pac-12 <laughs> things that we have to discuss. Um, and I kind of another revelatory day as we're getting closer and closer to November. It's starting to feel like uh, the sport is starting to take shape, and I'm feeling pretty good about it. So just a PSA to all the people who are watching this. We are not going to have graphics today because Dave and I are sports writers trying to be podcasters. And our producer, yeah. Cam Molina, is getting married this weekend and is going on a honeymoon. So Dave and I are doing this live. We're the technical support here. We're doing the best that we can. Cam, congratulations on your wedding. I hope this is the best night of your life. Uh, I hope that your honeymoon is everything that you hoped it would be. Just get back here. We need you. All right. <laughs> you know, we're going to need you. So, um, yeah, so there's a lot to discuss. We have, I think, one of the most exciting games of the of the season, maybe the biggest game of the season to discuss. Maybe the best we best game of these seasons. So yeah. Far. We have to discuss how I owe Andy $1,000. We've got a lot, <laughs> a lot to unpack here. But first, let me, you know, get into the show the way that we always do formally by – you know, welcoming again everybody to the Saturday, to the Saturday reaction show in the Until Saturday feed. Uh, make sure that you like, comment, and subscribe. Do everything that you can uh, in both the YouTube channel and the podcast feed to support the show. Um, all the interactions that we get with reviews and shares and likes go a really long way for helping the expanded audience of that show. Uh, it, it's huge for us. Join us live on Thursday, Saturday, and Sunday. That's three times a week, Thursday for picks, Saturday for reaction, and then Sunday for our uh, growing and exciting Sunday Sound Off show where we use your voicemails and get you guys involved in the show. Um, be sure to leave a voicemail if you want to take part in that show at 316-462-9852. Again, that is 316-462-9852. Um, you can call or text that line. We will certainly rather use the voicemails because your voice gives us spirit and it makes us feel like you're more a part of the show than just reading off texts. Lastly, sign up for the Until Saturday newsletter where you can get your daily fill of college football news right to your inbox from the athletic staff. We have takes, we have analysis, we have links, all sorts of things 
um, to get you that daily fill. And you do not need to be subscribed to The Athletic. Um, and if you're not subscribed to The Athletic and you like college football, uh, I challenge you to show me who has better coverage than we do. Please consider doing so. It means a lot to us. So, okay, Dave. Yep. I'm really fired up. I was fired up on Twitter. I don't know if you saw that. I, I'm I glad that. that you and I agree. Let's talk about Oregon. Let's talk about Washington. Yes. The best game of the year. I think I said uh, with some buddies who I was watching it with that it's the it was the biggest game of the year because I think there's a correlation between time of year records and how big a game could possibly be. Yeah. Um, and it went down to the final play. Uh, missed field goal. Oregon loses uh, to Washington 36 to 33. But the talk of, of the game was towards the end there where Dan Lanning was two yards away, a fourth and two around midfield away from being able to take knees and get out of there with a W. And he went for it instead of punting. Um, I thought it was an incredible call. Um, I love it when coaches trust their team and their players to to make a play with the game on the line. And everybody on Twitter, or a lot of people on Twitter, think Dan Lanning blew it. Um, and, of course, at halftime, too, they got down inside the 10 and they went forward on fourth down instead of taking three. Um, that also, I think, is a different discussion point. But he turned us back on three points, and it turned out that they lost by three. So where do you stand on this decision to go for it at the end of the game say the right thing because i really don't want to fight with you tonight (laughs) uh so let's focus on the two probably biggest (laughs) ones i guess the one at the end of the half that one was kind of a tweener call uh it felt like the only the now i'll say this i agreed with both calls on their face my only criticism of more so the first call than the second one is you should probably have a little more faith in your defense. It seems like you didn't have a lot of faith in your defense to get stops. And they got stops. And when you have got the ball coming out of the half and you have a chance to... Were they down four at that point or three before the half? They were down by four. Okay. Well, when you've got the ball coming back out of the half, taking points seems like a good idea. But I appreciate that he's throwing haymakers because as much as that's nice to take three and go to the half, taking seven and going to the half is doubly nice. And so... At the end, that is not really, I think, a risk necessarily. I think it's a tweener call. I think both of them are very defensible, but it comes down to, do I want to put the ball in Bo Nix's hands and say, give me four yards and this game is over, or you know, we're going to punt it and give it back to one of, if not the best offenses in the country to go down the field and score, which they did eventually anyway. Uh, I liked both calls. I did not like either play call. They kind of fell in love with the sprint outs. I don't know what that was about. Uh, you know, Bonix didn't have the option to run on either play. So I, I think just there's still a section of the public who thinks that it's risky going for fourth downs, that that is a gamble. And I just think you got to look at the big picture. You got to look at context, you got to look at personnel. And in a game like that, with a team like that, in that situation, I thought all the fourth downs were the right call. Didn't love the play calls, but the the most defensible one to me and the least risky one to me by far was going for it late in the last couple minutes. Okay, so I don't really get all wound up about the before halftime call. Um, If you think he should have taken three there, it was a turnover, take three points, going into the locker room, getting the ball back. Like, I'm not going to argue with you about that. Like, yeah. You know, people who say, well, if you would have taken the three, they wouldn't have lost there. 
you know, the game goes different. Decisions are different. Like, I don't think you can always definitively say just tack on three points and then the results results different. But if you are one of these people who thought that landing with two minutes left in the game, facing a fourth and two around midfield should have punted that football. I despise you. Like, I don't even know like how you could possibly think that. And I think there is an epidemic of cowardly coaching in both the NFL and in college. And I think the reason why that happens is because coaches are constantly afraid of being ridiculed, mocked and questioned in the public eye. Yeah. And they do things where it is tucking your tail, but between your legs and playing not to lose. And when you play not to lose Tuscaloosa last week. Yeah. I mean, it it happened on Tuesday. I mean, it happens all the time. Mm -hmm. So Dan Lanning, who had an offense that had 33 points on the board and over 500 yards receiving, had at least four sustained drives during that game of moving the ball on the ground with Bucky, getting guys open in space and, and finding receivers. And like a decides, fifth or sixth year quarterback, most importantly. With a Heisman Trophy be. quarterback on the field mm-hmm. that you need two yards to win a game against a top 10 opponent on the road. To act like that is dumb or that that cost them the game, I think is moronic. Like, I think that that is a, that is the wrong take. What he did was he understood that he was going to be punting the ball back to another Heisman candidate who has the most beautiful arm I've ever seen. And that would have probably lost them the game too. Four yards wins you the game. Four yards and the game is over. What are they going to do? Kick the ball 90% of the time it goes into the end zone. They're going to net 23 yards and it's going to take them four plays of score instead of three. Yeah. You recruit these players. You love these players. You coach these players. You put them in a position where you trust them. That's the kind of coach that I would want to play for if I were a recruit. A coach that said, you know what? We are about to do something remarkable I'm not going to be passive and put the ball back in someone else's hands. I want the ball in my hands with the game on the line because I want to decide that. That is college football. That's being a man as a coach. It's not being a coward. And if it works out, then we're carrying him off our shoulders and pretending like he's like Walter, I mean, uh, Dick Buckus or something. Who's the, what's the Super Bowl trophy again? Uh... Uh, Vince Lombardi. Not the Dick Lombardi Buckus. trophy, not Dick Buckus. Dick Buckus, I don't think you want to carry him on your shoulders at the moment. Yes. Yeah. Um, ugh, yeah. Uh, so, like, the thought process there, I think, is fractured. And I think the biggest problem here, Dave, is that people are very results-oriented. Because if you analyze the decision after they didn't get it, it's easy to say, well, this guy's an idiot or he blew the game. What you need to do is you need to analyze the decision in the moment before the play is run. And if you have questions about the play call or what they did in that moment, that's fine. But to put yourself in a position to go win that game and trust your team that you love and put it in your Heisman Trophy candidate's hands, if you hate that, then you don't like football. Like, I don't even know, like, what to say about that. And it it drives me nuts. And here's the other thing, too. Maybe they're Iowa fans, Ari. (laughs) They They were two minutes away or two minutes roughly on the clock left. Mm-hmm. Washington scored so quickly because of course they were going to score yeah. on their home field with Penix and those receivers that Oregon got the ball back and had plenty of time to get back into field goal range. They didn't lose the game because they didn't get it. They had the ball again. They could have scored a touchdown at the end of regulation with a few other big gains. That wasn't the game. They were going to lose the game because he went for it. 
they, I don't yeah. think that call lost them the game. Their kicker missed the field goal. Well, that's the thing. I think when it comes down to, so if you don't want to go for it there, right, then the idea is if we punt, we win. Do you really think that? Do you really think that Oregon wins that and game everybody if they magically punt there? Spots the ball. You're like you pin them down at the three yard line, and that's where they're <laughs> yeah, starting. Like that happens it, every time. Not every the guy wouldn't have booted Taylor, the baby. ball seventeen <laughs> yards out of the back of the end zone. Like yeah. it's so much easier to be like, yeah, if you would have done the other thing, then you would have won. It's like I don't even know. Uh, you know, and here's an interesting question, and I don't know. We're, we're we're trying to pin these as much as we can. And I had this debate with Matthew C, one of our loyal listeners that I appreciate very much on Twitter. He's on the other side of this thing. And he asked this question, if you could put it up, Dave. If you can't, you can't. But I got you. Um, does Nick Saban and Kirby Smart punt in that situation? All you need to do is know it's the wrong decision to know that Nick Saban and Kirby Smart punt the ball in that situation. I'm not sure that's true. I mean, I don't know that that's true, and I also don't know that they punt it. You also have yeah. to put yourself in a position where, you know, aside from a few big stops at the goal line stop on the previous drive, it's not like Oregon's defense was shutting Washington down. They were going through them like goat shit through a tin horn the entire game. Yeah, Oregon got and enough of course, stops those four to win plays, the game, but you don't want to give them a, give their offense a chance. That's just you're Dan Lanning. You're on the sideline and you're thinking, do you want to go for it and try to get three yards to win the game, or do you want to be on defense again? Yeah, how you could call him stupid for picking offense is incredible to me. And that, that's incredible the thing again. The risk here is. 20 to 30 yards, and time was not going to be a factor. Time was not going to be a factor for the offense. We saw that. You're risking 20 to 30 yards of field position, and the reward is you win the game if you get four yards. I I mean, it's it was it was pretty clear to me. I, I don't really just, just you know, uh, I, I, I get the debate, but it seemed obvious that the, the risk-reward was clear there. But Let's did you talk- find it even overly aggressive, though? No, it, it, it's not even really aggressive. I think that both moves are somewhat defensible, but when you, if you put them in a vacuum, but in that situation with those two teams, with the personnel being what it was, with the score being what it was, you're also on the road. I mean, I think you, I think you, you, you literally every single factor. If you, if you throw that decision in a vacuum, punting is defensible. But if you put it in the real world and you add every single factor from that game, every single one of them says go for it. You've got a great offense. They've got a great offense. You've already put 33 points on the board. you got an experienced quarterback. You only need a few yards. They don't have the timeouts to stop you, so it's not like going, and then you got to get another first down to go win it. Like It's pretty clear to me Like that's what you got to do. So. Well, here's the thing, um, and I wanted to ask you about this before we go on. And mm-hmm. listen, if you think that they, they should have punted and that's your stance, like – you know, that that's fine. I just I feel like if I were an Oregon fan, that that loss would really hurt. And I and I can I can feel that. Like Dan Rubenstein, my guy. You know, he he's over there, you know, I I'm gonna listen to their show when we're done here. Uh Solid Verbal, one of my favorite shows. He's an Oregon fan. It's gonna be hard for him. Um, it's just I would feel proud of my coach. If I were an Oregon fan, we need that. We need the Herm Edwards sound drop. You play to win the game. <laughs> I think that you could go. You could hold your head high walking off the field there. Yeah. Also knowing that there is a chance that we haven't seen the last. I think Oregon is awesome. I think Washington is awesome. Yeah. I think that we saw, and that this is the, what I wanted to lead into next um, before we get into whatever that game was <laughs> in Indiana, but. 
both of these teams obviously are very good. Will we see both of them again? And do you think that Washington now is the definitive clear-cut favorite in the Pac-12 in terms of best team to potentially win a playoff game this year? No, I, I still think Oregon's a more, more complete team. I was impressed with Washington. They ran the ball when they needed to. The defense played well enough. But I still think Oregon's a complete team. I think it's tough to go on the road. That crowd, that environment was unbelievable. Uh, I think loud, we're going to see these teams loud. very loud. I haven't been to a game at Husky Stadium. People say that Husky and Autzen are like as loud as any stadium in the country. I don't know about Autzen. Like, it was loud, but like. You go Austin's to Kyle loud, Field. But, yeah. It's loud, but like Kyle, Neyland, like I thought both of those are like significantly louder. Um, not like I just don't not know if it's possible to be louder because there's a lot of open air. Uh, well, supposedly it's so, like yeah. a it's a it's an acoustics thing, like the way the yeah. stadium's set up. But I was there, and maybe it was because it was muted in the second half. But it, I didn't think it was you know. But it, regardless, it's a big environment. And I, I, especially from what we saw from USC tonight, which we'll get to, those are still clearly the two best teams in the Pac-12. And they've got a lot of hurdles to get over before they get to Vegas. There's a bunch of really good teams in the Pac-12 that can beat them. Um, you know, Washington State didn't play well today. Arizona gave USC a run for their money. Obviously, you have uh, UCLA's defense, which will be a factor to contend with. Um, you have Oregon State, which uh, I believe they got the job done. They finished it there. I don't think that game was over on it, but they were up double digits. So, uh, yeah, I think they get there, and I think Oregon's probably favored in that game. And, and that, that probably matters. But... I want to see that game again. I want to see it indoors at Allegiant. I want to see it uh, with a playoff spot on the line. I think that's probably going to be the case. There may, you know, depending on how all the other variables play out, maybe we get a situation where one or both of them can still get in. Like if Washington's undefeated and they lose, that's a real possibility that they could get two teams in. So there's a lot of Pac-12 football still left to be played, but today was a classic, and I. I I came into this game thinking these were two of the five best teams in the country. I don't really care about the polls. Like those, are, That's what I thought coming in. And I left that game thinking the same thing. Um, it's very hard to go on the road and win. And I think the fact that you lost by three points in that situation where you were toe-to-toe with them, uh, you played really well, and you lose, doesn't, that doesn't tell me anything about Oregon. It's two really good teams. Somebody's got to lose. Okay, Dave, let's go to South Bend. Uh, okay. I, I feel like we had a thorough discussion about that, and hopefully we fired some people up. <laughs> USC got its doors blown off 48-20 to by Notre Dame on the road. It's USC's first loss of the season. Um, it seems like maybe it'll be the first of a few. Mm-hmm. Um, here's the thing, though. I thought that there was a – we both thought that USC was going to win this game. Yeah. Coming into it, I didn't think that – I didn't think that – Notre Dame had the offensive skill talent to really embarrass USC's defense. And I think if you watched that game, that was by and large pretty true. I thought USC's defense played a pretty good game, a good enough game to win. They were good enough to win. I think um, Notre Dame, they they matched up well against – well, they did play Ohio State. But I think USC is probably a better offense. Not as good of weapons, but obviously the gap between Caleb and Cal McCord is large. I well, here's the thing. Right now. I thought that USC, when they lose or would continue to lose this year, would be a result of a terrible defense letting the offense down. What actually happened out here in South Bend 
was USC's offensive line getting its ass kicked. Caleb Williams not doing well under pressure, throwing for less than 200 yards and throwing three picks in the first half. I think all three were debilitating picks that led to points. And USC was just playing from behind the entire game, found no offensive rhythm, couldn't block anybody. And even as USC's defense racked up some stops, you know, Notre Dame scored 17 points in the fourth quarter. The, the score's a little bit more lopsided than it was. USC had a thought, had a chance to win at the end of the third quarter, early fourth, that they could just get a stop. Now, people are asking me how I feel about my bet with Andy. Um, if you don't know what that bet is, uh, I bet Andy, when Lincoln Riley took over as USC's head coach, that USC would make the playoff uh, in one of the first three years. It wouldn't be year four, one of the first three. Uh, if I If they don't, I owe him a grand. How do I feel about it? I feel terrible about it. It's the line play is terrible. The defense is terrible. The only saving grace that I have is next year when USC moves to the Big Ten, that twelve teams get in and twelve is a lot. So if if they get into the twelve team playoff, I win the bet on technicality. Miller so that's Moss my only or saving the portal. Grace. We'll see. <laughs> we'll see what happens with their lines or whatever. But Caleb Williams, I thought looked human for the first time in his college career. Forced um, a I, lot. I wonder. Tonight. Forced I, a lot. I, I wonder if that is uh, any way an indication of how you view him as a draft prospect. I saw a lot of that on Twitter today of, you know, maybe he isn't the most can't-miss quarterback prospect after all. All these things to break down. But what was your main takeaway of of what you watched in that game, Dave? I was impressed with Notre Dame. I mean, I I haven't – you and I have been on the same page. We haven't really taken USC seriously at any point this year. Like, we know they can score points – but they, the, the defense is what it is. I just haven't really been seeing them. And, and Notre Dame, it was impressive to see them bounce back from last week. I think that says a lot about where this program is under Marcus Freeman, that you can play so poorly last week against a Louisville team that is not a great team. I, I think they should be proud of what they did, but you know, they showed tonight that they're not exactly world beaters. And you feel like you let one get away, but you're not going to let the season get away. And you're not going to let Louisville beat you twice. And even though they did look tired, I'd be curious to know how much contact they had in practice this week. Because um, Notre Dame looked really physical up front. And for all of USC's defensive struggles, they're not great up front, but they're better up front than they are at the back end. And Notre Dame pushed them around a lot today, especially... Um, with their defensive front. I mean, uh, Caleb had guys in his face almost immediately, and, and he did his magician Caleb thing a little bit, but you can't do that on every play. And you start doing that, you start doing the jump passes, the off-platform throws against really, really good defenses, and you throw the kind of picks that we saw him throw tonight and put his team in a hole. You know, Notre Dame's offense didn't do a ton. Um, and if you take away those three interceptions in the first half, which is saying a lot, but, like, you take those things away – and that's a tight game. Maybe it's a game that USC is winning. And so, yeah, to, to see them lose like this where Caleb Williams plays poorly, and that's the, probably the biggest reason why they lose that ball game. that's not something I had on my bingo board. But, uh, you know, it, it, I don't think it's that big of a deal. But, you know, West Coast team heading to the Midwest in October, <laughs> that's going to be more of those in the future. It is interesting because it feels like a Pac-12 loss, but it isn't. They certainly yeah. can still play for a Pac-12 championship. But the toughest part, I feel like if you're a USC fan to swallow is, and I saw Antonio Morales, our USC beat writer, tweet this question, but 
if you're seven weeks into the season going into week eight now with a loss and you don't know what they do particularly well, that's kind of a hard question. Like, okay, they've got elite quarterback play. They've got some some skill position talent at receiver and the running back. But, like, what is this team's calling card? If you can't block anybody, you know you can't win on, um, you know, by pounding opponents on the ground. And you just saw a blueprint of how to get to Caleb Williams. You're going to be playing teams that have other good physical defensive linemen this year. Uh, you know, Notre Dame's offense didn't do anything the entire game. I think they had less than 300 yards right here. Daniel Garrett has that, you know, stat here for us. And you got blown out. Like, I don't know what the pathway to success is here. And everybody says it looks like a nine and three team. I mean, if you go look at USC schedule for the rest of the year, I think that that's almost a certainty. I mean, I don't know. Mm-hmm. You got Utah next week. Be careful. Even with Bryson. Cal. Davis. Yeah. Cal and then Washington, Oregon, UCLA all in a row. Good luck. They're clearly not a better. They're not even on the same plane as Washington and Oregon. I'll, I will listen to arguments about them with USC. I mean, with them with UCLA. I think that's close. They're just they're UCLA and USC are like polar opposites of each other in a lot of ways. Where the offense is trying to find its way, and the defense is turned into a juggernaut. Uh, you know, they didn't have the best night tonight, but you know I, I kind of saw that coming with with the way that Oregon State's offensive line looks. That that, that was they could neutralize them and, and have a, a quite a day for for DJ Uyunglele. USC is an average team with deep flaws, with an exceptional quarterback and some nice pieces offensively. That's it. Yeah, they're not a great team. Much. And actually, here Miller Cunningham. That's a really interesting quote. Uh, Miller Cunningham in the chat. Caleb and Shador both carry their teams in a way that's not sustainable. I think that's a factual statement. Yeah, I'd say it's about right. And if you have uh, more, if you have more in common with Colorado right now than you do with Oregon and Washington, that's a problem. <laughs> And they went toe-to-toe with Colorado uh, in a game that they should have won by many, many more points, uh, and they yep. didn't. Um, but Colorado would take so, that, I think. The Bear got them. The Bear got them, Dave. I didn't think it would be like this, but the Bear got them. I, okay. I don't know if the Bear got them. I, I, I think that they saw the Bear and shot their foot, and now they're just laying there at the campsite bleeding. So, I, And now all the other Bears are going to know it's free lunch day. Okay. Pretty much, yeah. Let's go to a game real quick that happened on Friday night. I um correction was Saturday morning. <laughs> Saturday morning. I'm yes. in Vegas right now, so my time zones are all weird. I'm out. in the so Eastern I, time zone, Ari. I, I laid my head on my pillow last night at about three fifteen. Uh it was tough. It was tough. Just give us context. Colorado's up twenty nine to zero at halftime, right? Or before the half. And yes. then they blow the game. Uh, and yes. lose to Stanford, a team that isn't necessarily known for being the 99 Rams. So just be our Colorado expert well, and help me here, out. Here's, here's, so you're up 29 nothing at half. And Colorado, I mean, you saw like Xavier Weaver, his face, he had three first-half touchdowns. He was like actively laughing at Stanford's defense and walking in on touchdowns. They were stunting on him. It was, it was Colorado being Colorado, doing what they do, uh, beating you and letting you know about it. It was not interesting. It was not particularly fun uh, in any way. Stanford scores to come out of the first half or of the second half, and then Colorado. If I recall, I don't remember how they got on the three, but they pinned them on the three. I don't think it was a turnover. I'm pretty sure it was a punt, and then they just threw it up to Elik uh, Ayamanor, who, by the way, 
Very sharp kid. I talked to him a couple times a few years ago when Tennessee was recruiting him. Um, and Andy did a story on him as well as a guy who peaked. He was kind of a COVID recruit that people were sleeping on. Um, but he was one of those kids that, like, the Stanford degree meant a lot to him. And you could play, you know, Power 5 football. He's a really, really sharp kid. Like, the academics were really, really important to him. Um, and so he blows up. He didn't have any catches in the first half. I think on the year he had, like, 15 catches for, like, 200 yards. And then he just morphed into Superman. He hauls in a 97-yard touchdown catch. And then you just sort of saw the light go out in in the Colorado defense's eyes. They lost all confidence. They started running a bunch of different, uh, just a bunch of basic like slants and goes and jump balls, and they couldn't cover him. Carter Stoutmeyer was struggling to cover uh, Aomenor for a lot of the the lot of the period in the second half. They switched Travis Hunter on him, and it didn't matter. He was still running by him. And I think there's a question to be had of Travis Hunter playing a ton of snaps. Uh, coming back from a lacerated liver when he hadn't played in three weeks. He looked tired. He looked uh, not like a very good cornerback. I think he's going to be a great player eventually. Uh, he's a guy who actually prefers playing defense. He likes defense more than offense. But I think you just saw the confidence go uh, from that defense. They just felt like they couldn't do anything. And, yeah, Stanford is not the greatest offense that we've ever seen. They didn't have to do a lot of complicated stuff. They just couldn't stop really basic things. And Dion, a cornerback by trade was slowly, he stayed composed, but you could see that's as, that's as animated and mad as I've ever seen him on the sidelines. And that that's not saying a ton because he's usually very stoic, but you could see it. And then after the game, he's, you know, he said, you know, I need to hope I'm not used to this. You know, hopefully I can stay composed um, because you know, this is, I'm not used to this. And then the, the, in overtime, he takes the ball. So they're going to have offense first on both overtime possessions. And his, his offensive or his overtime philosophy, remind people. They want the ball because he has a lot of faith in his offense and in Shador to go score. And he feels like the pressure that that puts on opposing defenses outweighs the mathematics of getting four downs or knowing what you need. I disagree with it. I get it. I just I don't think it's smart football. Uh, I think that he's wrong in that the pressure outweighs the number and the math of it. The tactics of the math, yeah. And especially when you don't score and all, you know, all uh, Sanford has to do is sort of turtle shell and kick a 25-yard field goal, you set yourself up for that. Um, you know, and, and that, that pick that Shador threw was on third and goal at the two. And if you don't get that, then you have a really difficult decision to make, uh, fourth and goal at the two. I guessing they would have kicked it, but maybe not. And either way, I, I just, I disagree with the philosophy entirely. I get where he's coming from, but I don't think that the mental edge that I think he believes it gives him outweighs the math and just a disastrous loss. Um, in a million different ways, and tough time to be on a bye week. But I think a lot of people were relishing in that, and I think the conversation would be a lot louder if they hadn't done it at like 2 in the morning on a Friday. Colorado now, I believe, is 4-3. and three. Uh, They need to win two more games to become bowl eligible, which I think before the year started, we would have said would be a resounding success if they were able to do that. Agreed? Yeah. The remainder of their schedule is UCLA, Oregon State, Arizona, Washington State, and Utah. 
Now, I don't want to be a person who is just like a fatalist, but there is a buried. legitimate chance. Yeah, they could lose the rest buried. of their games. They could also well, lose. About, yeah, they could. They could in theory lose them all. I think just by the math and the offensive, they'll get at least one. They're not buried. They can do it. But the the issue is that if they had won last night, you don't need to do anything. Be anything more than the B plus version of yourself, and you probably steal one of those games. You, you're going to be probably favored against Arizona. You're probably an underdog in the rest. You could steal one of those games. You might get to six or seven fairly easily. Now, you're probably still maybe favored against Arizona. We'll see what Arizona does in the next couple weeks. They were insane tonight. The way that they just beat the heck out of Washington State. But now you now you got to do something. Now you need another TCU. You got to steal a game that you were not supposed to win, and that is asking a lot. And that's not to say they can't do it, but I think you know I don't know what the numbers were, and somebody will have to crunch them for me. I'm not a analytics. You know I like analytics, but I don't have models on my computer. I would say they were over fifty percent easily to make a bowl when that game started yesterday, and certainly at halftime on up twenty nine nothing. I would say they're probably in the the twenty five to. 40% range now, somewhere like that to make a bowl. And that's a huge drop in one game because they had to have that. Stanford's not a good team. They hadn't beaten uh, – I don't think they'd beaten an FBS team. Maybe they did. They lost to Sacramento State, Troy Taylor's previous team. That's never good. They'd taken some beatings. It was it was not great. And this is who – I think that's the thing. You know, Colorado lost because they're Colorado. They can't protect Tishador, which was not that big of a problem last night. But they can't run the ball, and that means it's tough to bleed the clock and protect leads. And they can't cover, which means that you get opportunities for teams to beat you through the air like they did. And it, it was entirely predictable. Like, as as bad as it was and as eye-popping as it was, it was still uh, – they, they didn't do anything out of character. Yeah. Uh, I, I just feel like it's a – turning point because regardless of what we think or know Colorado is blowing a 29 point halftime lead against a team like Stanford is a jarring result that makes you wonder if the wheels are falling off well I think you just I don't know that the wheels are falling off and if we're going to continue the car analogy I think you just take your foot off the gas a little bit I don't think I think Dion sort of alluded to it in his post game press conference he usually takes forever and he was I was not done writing like some takeaways before he was already talking. And having covered this team a lot, he take like the players usually go first. He takes like an hour. Like he's as long as any coach I've ever seen. I think he was ready to get that done and get out of there. Maybe this, he is an early bed guy. Like he's usually in bed by like eight thirty and up at four or whatever. He's you know he doesn't he doesn't do that the, the late night stuff. But like it, it's. I don't think that that was a team that was ready to go play coming out of the locker room, and it looked like it. And I don't know that that's about the program as a whole as much as the people in that program that, like, you've got to stay invested. Like, these guys are getting scholarships too, and you can disrespect Stanford all you want, but they they beat you for 30 minutes and beat you bad for 30 minutes, and you couldn't do anything about it. Well, it looks like the Colorado hype train is not going to be reserved to (laughs) – Playoff watch, which is exciting in its own not playoff watch, well, sorry, bowl watch. Um, and they have no bad teams left on their schedule because now we are gonna segue into Arizona tonight. Told you guys, Pac twelve episode. You're you're here for the final year 
uh, get on board or get left behind. Uh, yep. Arizona comes out of nowhere and beats Washington State forty-four to six. That I mean, uh, no, I mean that is a drubbing. Now it was on Pac-12 Network, so it might as well have been, you know, broadcast in, in Morse code. I, I wasn't able to watch it, but looking at the stats here, uh, quarterback Noah Fafita three, thirty-four for forty-three, three hundred and forty-two yards in this game. Just looked like an absolute drubbing. And I wanted to take a moment and just give Jed Fish his flowers again. Like we've talked about, uh, you know, the build there and, and what they've done. You know, this isn't a only care about big time teams podcast. We give flowers the amount of progress that that team has made in a two-year period under his leadership has been incredible. And, you know, <clears throat> Catherine B here with – uh talking about the one of the best wide receiver duos in the country with Jacob Cowing and T-Mac. This is also losing Dorian Singer in the portal, and they still have this. Like, the baseline talent level that is on this team is just a middle-tier to middle-upper-tier Pac-12 team's been traditionally. So, you know, it'll be interesting to see how things go in the Big 12. I felt bad for them. They lost their five-star defensive end commitment out of Tucson last week. But, um another tough out in this conference, a team that legitimately is maybe going for two away from being ranked. If they would have beaten USC last week. Mm-hmm. Is that recruitment over Ari or can they get back in that? <laughs> Sounds like it's over. I'm trying to do some reporting on it now. Um, I'm trying to get in touch with some people, but um, a lot of theories as to what happened. There. I want to get to the bottom of it, but that, that that's a, that's a real kick in the knackers. So uh, yeah, but congratulations, Arizona. Welcome back to competence. Now, you know, you've got Oregon State, UCLA, Colorado, Utah, and ASU left on your schedule. It's not really going to be the, uh, you know, easiest route to bowl eligibility for them. But, you know, wearing the right uniforms and got the right coach, it seems like uh, it's just been a, a remarkable turnaround. So anything you'd like to add about Arizona before we move on? No, I think they're a dangerous team. I think we knew they could score points. As I didn't get to see it either with the Pac-12 network. I can if there's something truly groundbreaking, I can get Pac-12 network. I didn't turn this one on. How did I don't understand how Washington State only puts up six on the board against those guys? No disrespect to Arizona's defense, but Washington State can score some points, and I I'm curious yep. how that even happened. That's yeah, that's not good. well. Maybe one day when they beam the highlights into the uh, the internet, we'll be able to see. But um, <laughs> yeah. One last Pac-12 thing, and then we can go around the country a little bit more. God, we are mm-hmm. how many minutes into this thing? Almost 40 minutes, and it's all Pac-12 all day. But <laughs> had a big uh, one day. last result. Oregon State improved to 6-1. and one. They beat UCLA, and I, th- I thought it was a sneaky, great game that no one was talking about heading into the week. Solid team. Oregon State, 6-1. and one. Their only loss is a, is a three-point loss to uh, Washington State a few weeks ago. Now they've got Arizona, Colorado, Stanford, and then they finish with Washington and Oregon back-to-back. But, you know, Oregon State, I think their over-under for their team total wins was 8.5. We both said smash the over. Yeah, I said I feel 10. really I good about that now. get 9.5 and plus money. Yeah. They're just I mean, solid. They, could beat, they don't They, don't they beat could beat themselves. Arizona. They could beat Colorado. They could beat Stanford. I mean, they might, mm-hmm. they might hit their win total before playing Washington or Oregon. Yeah. So, well, good for them. I, I, and, that when when you have a more 
a more I'm not gonna say competent, but I I think that the scheme of what they're doing seems to suit DJ Uyunglele a little bit better. Um, and when he's got clean pockets and a good running game around him and some good weapons, he's making plays. So props to 14 Oregon for State. 24, I, 266 yeah. yards and two touchdowns for DJ tonight. Yeah. There you go. So, yeah. Anyway, a lot of six and one, one loss teams in the, in the pack 12, a lot of pesky teams like Arizona in the pack 12. I believe we're down uh, very, to a dozen undefeateds also, if I'm not mistaken. Yes. Uh, and now all of them will make the playoff. <laughs> I'm kidding. We're gonna get we're, the digs are gonna. He's not are gonna kidding. That's the sad thing, Ari. We, fewer we, we and far help. between, but yeah. Um, okay, do you want to talk about some other conferences? And we've got a lot of a lot of games in here, but uh, I'm happy that we gave the Pac-12 their flowers because it's a damn shame it's the final year. But they're a hell of a conference, and honestly, great, great football to watch. Oh, it was good. So we don't want to so. spend the next 20 minutes talking. We don't want to spend the next 20 minutes talking Cal and Utah. No, because I had Cal plus 14, and I thought that was in the bag, and it just didn't, <laughs> didn't happen for me. But yeah, yeah. Okay, so first of all, if you want to know why this is the greatest sport in the entire world, Louisville beat the crap, took the screws to Notre Dame seven days ago. Beat down. Turns around and gets their doors blown off by Pitt tonight. Well, what? they didn't get their doors blown off. I had an eye on this one. I had a. I was at home today, so I had my whole command center up. We were in a good situation. It was back. Is thirty-eight forth. to twenty-one not getting your doors blown off? No, it's not. It was back and forth, back and forth. Uh, I, they had a lead for most of the game, and then they just couldn't get stops. Pitt started scoring, and then Jack Plum they had outscored twenty-four to nothing in the second half. Yes. Yes. Well, there you go. But the picks, there was understand. a pick six mixed in there late. Uh, it was. I think. I think they were up double digits in the first half. I could be mistaken. I mean, Louisville um, was so, riding high, six and zero, oh, and then they lost to a team by seventeen that's allergic to throwing the football. Well, eh, no more. Uh, no more. Christian Valu replaced him. I'm blanking on the mm-hmm. pick quarterbacks. Phil Dracovic. No more Phil yeah. Dracovic. Christian Valu, who was a very highly touted recruit, four-star kid, went to Penn State, obviously saw the writing on the wall with Drew Aller at Penn State. Uh, you know, I, I know Jeremy Pruitt and his staff, like Valu was very, very high on their list. That doesn't say a lot. But like he was a kid that like has some real talent. And we saw that tonight. He played really, really well. And I'm not willing to say Pitt's turned a corner because it's Pitt. And you know how Pitt operates, Ari. <laughs> but this was a very good performance. And I believe they were coming off a bye also, which always matters when you have two weeks to prepare. And Louisville, you know, started smashing around with, with uh, Notre Dame last week. So that matters too. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, Everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. 
When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Yeah, so let's just kind of do a little bit of the speed round, but I'm gonna, this is how I want to talk about the next game. They can't keep getting away with it. They can't <laughs> keep getting away with it. They can't keep getting away with it. Who am I talking about? Do you know what this is? Are we having an Iowa conversation finally? Iowa beat Wisconsin 15-6. Right. to six. Here's the thing that we need to talk about. You disagree with me, but I am correct. We briefly mentioned it because I thought they were going to lose this game as a 10-point dog, but they went on the road and won. Iowa's next five games, Minnesota, who is not very good, Northwestern, among the worst teams in the Power Five, Rutgers can play some defense, but so can Iowa, Illinois, who is not very good, and at Nebraska, who is also not very good. That's their only road game. Ari, are you prepared for an 11-1 and Iowa going to Indianapolis? Well, that, that's not what I'm just – I think that's going to happen. I think it's almost a certainty. I don't know. When you play offense that terribly, you could lose to and then And then, point. Ari, but and then it's one the game. The point you made. It's one game, Ari, and Illinois – I mean, in Iowa, if they win that game, we'll have a case for the playoff. That is just a fact. I don't know that they're going to get there. The resume will be light, but there's a lot of football games that have to happen between now and then. What are you talking about? <laughs> it's one game, Ari. Nobody thinks they're going to win. What are you talking about resume? If they went out, they're in. There's no debate. No, I'm talking about if they – No, I'm ta- they'll have a light resume. They won't have a lot of wins. If they're sitting there with it one loss – It won't matter, though. It if they're will a one-loss Big Ten champion, they're in. There's no debate. Prob- probably. The one-loss Big there's Ten champion deb- is in. Ari, there's going to be some debate. There's going to be some debate. <laughs> if Iowa beat Michigan or Penn State or Ohio State at the end of the year, they're in the playoff. There's no debate. The, the, the thing that I take exception to is that you are able. <laughs> yeah, like I think they will be in the game. I think there's a chance they'll be in the game, but they're not. They can't beat any of those teams. They could play a hundred times. I, I agree with you, Ari. But also, Stanford can't come back from a 29-point halftime deficit to beat Colorado. They can't do it. When you play offense that way, you can't play against a team that can score 28 points and win. I agree with you, Ari. I'm just saying it's one game. I think if you're saying you're four quarters away from them being in that, and that is the notion alone, then I think that's true. But they are further away than four quarters, even if they're only four quarters away. Does that make (laughs) sense? Probably. The fact that all of the conversation around Iowa is so toxic, and yet... And yet, well, that's the toxic they part. Might get now to we're going to get into this at eleven and one. <laughs> David Eicholt, who's the uh, Iowa Hawkeyes insider for two four seven Sports, tweeted: Iowa punted the ball ten times. It had as many three and outs as first downs, which was nine. Completed six of fourteen passes, totaling thirty four yards. Had sixty eight total yards in the second half. Were double digit underdogs and won by nine. Yeah. I, here's the thing. I love this team. That I don't really watch a ton of Iowa because I value my time and my eyesight too much. 
but I keep track of what they're doing. And Iowa playing, getting 60 minutes away from the playoff when their fan base is ready to burn down the facility is maybe the funniest college football storyline well, we've not seen intriguing. in years. The reason why it's not intriguing is we already saw what happens when they play a good team with a good offense. They I lost know. 31 to nothing to Penn State. Like, they cannot compete in that environment. You. I agree The thing that you. I am interested yes. in more than anything is if Iowa goes to Indianapolis and Iowa does not reach the drive to 325, whether or not Iowa will continue to retain – that's redundant – will retain Brian Ferentz as the mm-hmm. offensive coordinator of this team. I suspect the answer will be yes. So you know what? Right now they're at one hundred and right now they're at one hundred and forty six points. They're twenty nine points behind pace. Uh, So they need to average. You start. I don't know how many. I'm gonna. I'm gonna get with Scott with this, but I do want to write a column about what he said about being the best in their neighborhood and not striving for excellence. Mm -hmm. Like that that discussion we had on Thursday. I think it was a really. It is loser talk. Well said. It's a lo- it's loser talk, um, but they keep winning these games. Okay, a few quick ones here, Dave. Georgia was down seven nothing to Vanderbilt, and my little heart was dreaming of a potentially interesting game. It was seven seven at the end of the first quarter. Uh, Georgia just kind of sleepwalks to a thirty seven to twenty win in the game. The most interesting thing about the game was that Brock Bowers got injured, and when he did get injured. He seemed fairly seriously injured, but you're telling me it was just a sprain? Yeah, Kirby Smart had some weird he, – he described it in a weird way, but he didn't – it doesn't sound like it's a high ankle sprain. It sounds like it's lower, which does matter. That doesn't linger as much. They just need him healthy for the last three games of the year for them. Uh, they can get to Atlanta fine without him. Uh, even Florida, which will probably be – Florida and Tennessee will probably be their toughest tests. We'll see. It could be, you know, we'll, we'll see what Mizzou has for them. That's in Athens, though. Um, but they can get to Atlanta and maybe not without a – or maybe without a scratch if he's not healthy. So I wonder if they'll rest him a week or two until he's back to 100%, see what happens there. Um, but he sounds like he's okay. It sounds like it's just a sprain. Negative x-rays. Uh, so I – Drake uh, apparently wore Drake the Rapper – uh, wore a Georgia leather jacket. So a lot of people yeah. are saying because of the Drake curse that he's the reason why Brock Bowers got injured. Um, I buy I that. that I think that makes sense. I think that's good analysis. Um, yeah. But I think this might be a nice little segue too because I was informed that in two weeks I will be covering the uh, largest cocktail party or outdoor cocktail party uh, of Florida and Georgia and Jacksonville, which, Dave, I'll be happy to inform you, uh, mm-hmm. is a 2.30 start. So it shouldn't impact okay. our evening that much. But Florida won a football game. And considering what we thought this team was going to be at the beginning of the year to what they have kind of become now, they scored 41 points in a win over South Carolina, 41-39. On the to road. 39 to, on the on the road, road to improve to 5-2. and two. Graham Mertz, 30 completions for 423 yards and three touchdowns. Like, is world's largest uh, outdoor cocktail party grab ass on the table? Probably not. I think I think when you I think when you're gonna see Georgia face these, and I'm using gigantic air quotes, tests like Kentucky last week. When they're up for I, it. 
I think I think you may see it. Ari, have you been to Jacksonville before? I've been to Jacksonville, but never for the game. Okay. I, I like St. Augustine. I, sp- I spent a week. Yeah, St. Augustine's awesome. I spent a week there covering the Gator Bowl a few years ago. Um, you didn't like it? I was, re- I was ready to come home. I'm not going to slander someone's home, but if I was ranking the U.S. cities, it would take me a while before I'd get to Jacksonville. I'm just saying. What, well, what are the ups and downs of it? We don't need a full analysis of Jacksonville on the on the reaction. Well, I mean, I feel like just being oceanfront (laughs) puts you ahead of half. That's the best part about Jacksonville, Ari. Is it's not oceanfront at all. You're 40 minutes from the actual ocean. It's not a real. It's not oceanfront. Well, Jacksonville Beach. That's like it's literally like a 40 minute drive. Nobody told me that. The stadium is like 40 minutes from the beach. I I covered something in Jacksonville, and I stayed in St. Augustine, and it took me a half hour to get there. From Jackson to Jacksonville? To Jacksonville. So there's no way St. Augustine's like south. Yeah. Yeah. We'll we'll have to Google Maps it. It might be closer to 30 minutes, but I'm excited to see a SEC rivalry game. Let's just put it that way. Yeah. Well, either way, uh, it'll be an interesting game. You get to see Georgia, Ari. Uh, Are you going to... Uh, go down to every Georgia recruiting staffer and congratulate them on doing what they've done before the game? Um, there is one Georgia recruiting staffer that I'm particularly fond of. You know who you are, buddy. Um, maybe we'll hug at the game. I'm excited to see the game, and we'll see if if it, it could. You know, Florida being 5-2 and two, at least put some luster on it a little bit. I didn't want to go... Yeah. Which was Georgia versus a four and three team. The fact they're five and two and only have one loss in the uh, conference play makes Florida at least an interesting discussion point. Graham Mertz played the best game of his career potentially on the road. They won. Like it is somewhat intriguing when we thought this team was going to be one of the worst teams in college football this year. So kudos to Florida for staying afloat and kudos to Florida for giving Billy Napier a chance to, uh, potentially build this thing a little bit longer. And Chris Callahan. I did not think they were going to win that game today. I I didn't think they'd get killed, but the idea that they could go on the road against a pretty good South Carolina team and win, I did not buy that. No. Chris Callahan said, it's funny Ari is going to Florida, Georgia before Texas. It's true. It is funny. There's a reason for it. I had a family thing. I couldn't make it that day. So it's not uh, on purpose. So I'm, I'm excited to see how it goes. I'm excited to see the game and, you know, you never know. Florida has some like weird grab assery power potentially. So um speaking of Florida, let's stay in the state. Florida State smacked Syracuse on Saturday. But TCB there was a forty one to three. Syracuse is a pretty good team, I think. Like not I'm not saying great, but you know, they started off four. Well, Schrader, I guess Schrader didn't play or played very little. I had this on like yeah. a fifth screen. He had like a <clears> stomach <throat> bug or something like that. So I think he suited up and then didn't play. Uh, it didn't really matter. I mean, Florida State jumped on them, jumped on them early. I didn't really pay that much close attention to it, but uh, not. Uh, I mean, it was seventeen to three okay. at halftime. Uh, but Jordan Travis got injured in the second quarter, and he like walked off the field with his arm, his like shoulder slumped on his non-throwing shoulder. Looked pretty scary. He came back into the second half, but very interesting timing because they're playing Duke next week, and that could be a good game. So, yeah, just something yeah. to monitor. All right, ACC. We made it this far into the show. We gave it some time to finish, but North Carolina smacked Miami tonight. Tez Walker, North Carolina. three touchdowns. I was happy. Tez Walker, too. welcome back. He looked really good, um, by the way, for his first game. Six, in, six I mean, receptions. Second game coming in. 
132 yards, three touchdowns. North Carolina wins 41 to 31. Um, you know, RIP to Miami season after last week. You know, we'll talk about that a little bit, I guess. But here's my take. Okay. Now, North Carolina's schedule here, boys. Virginia, Georgia Tech, Campbell, Duke, Clemson, NC State. In a world where there are only four playoff spots, could North Carolina be a bid thief? I ask this because we spend so much time, or have spent the last two years, and maybe it's just my fault, hyping up USC. We talk about USC. Maybe it's the Lincoln Riley factor. Maybe it's the Caleb Williams factor. But North Carolina's defense seems pretty greatly improved. Their front got a lot and better this year. Is they can, they can there the a chance? And I've been saying it. I've been buying up Bauman U cards of Drake May. That Drake <laughs> May is the best quarterback in college football. Yeah. And even if he isn't, the fact that he's part of that discussion, Dave. Mm-hmm. Why do we take USC so seriously? Maybe not anymore after tonight, but we did. Yeah. And completely dismiss the notion that North Carolina is dangerous. I think because they let us down so much last year and they have flopped in some big games and have lost to the South Carolinas of the world that don't really impress you. But you look at that schedule, and even if they drop a game, the idea that North Carolina could beat Florida State um, or, you know, a Duke team where they'll, you know, have a rematch against in theory if they got there instead of Florida State, they could beat those teams. And so a 12-1 a, a ACC champion North Carolina is definitely within the realm of possibility. I think it's a good point. I think for me – I have a bit of a Texas situation with North Carolina and that I don't trust them. You know, can you beat Duke and Clemson in back-to-back weeks? I don't think Georgia Tech is good enough to give you a push or Virginia. That's just – it is what it is. This was the game. I thought Miami was going to win this game. I thought they were going to surprise some people and pull this off. They did not. They did lead at halftime and then got punked. But, like, even if you get through that, can you go to NC State in a rivalry game and take care of business? Probably, but I, I don't fully trust them yet because we've seen them play some weird games where Drake May just kind of flops. So I think your point is we've fair. We've seen them I see that last year. I'm tired of hearing it's just, about that. It's a last lot year. of the same guys, Ari. It's just Buddy, true. it's week I, eight now. I don't know why, saying, you, like, why you have a problem with continuing, especially when there's so many, there's so much roster continuity. I don't think that it makes sense and it's fair to the current teams to neg an eight note, a team that is going into week eight at six and oh. And and say I don't I can't take them seriously because they stunk one up last. I'm time. taking them seriously. I okay. just don't fully trust them yet. Like I don't think when you look at uh, you know uh, Georgia, right? I don't think Georgia is going to go, you know, play somebody whatever and and lose a game. Why do I think that, Ari? Because I've seen this team stay focused and get through the season and not lose a dumb game. You know, they had some. They had to. To do the little, you know, uh, Houdini act at Mizzou last year. But, like, that's, like, the only time in this run that Georgia has played with its food in a real way, where it's, like, you could lose this game. 
I believe in them because I believe they get them up for every game, and also the talent gap and all those things. It's not like North Carolina is like that good, where like they can't lose to some of these teams or can't mess around with some of these teams, and we've seen it. So that's part of it. That's part of it. I just want to say welcome to the show, North Carolina. I'm going to be watching you a little bit closer. I think you deserve the benefit of the doubt. I think I said this last year. That sounds like until you, could call you let him, me down. I wrote. I mean, I can just cut and paste it from last year. It's like, you know, whether or not you, you know, your preconceived notions don't matter to me, but you deserve to be a part of the discussion, and they are now. So they will mm-hmm. be moving forward until they prove us wrong. Um, A&M, do you want to talk about A&M for a minute? Whoo! Our colleague Texas Bruce Dobbin says that they are going to find the money if they need it, if they want it. Curious. I'm curious what Ross Bjork's phone history looks like tonight. Very curious. In case you don't know, they lost to Tennessee 20-13. to 13. Um, You know, their starting quarterback is out. I don't know if that's an excuse. Max Johnson, 16 for 34. And Connor Regman's replace, or to replace him, 223 yards and no touchdowns, two interceptions. Joe Milton threw for only 100 yards, and Tennessee beat them 20-13. to 13. A&M is now 4-3, and 2-2 two and two in the SEC when eight days ago they thought they were a win away from controlling their destiny in the SEC West. It's bad. Um, I did see, yeah, I saw some of the message board genius posts from uh, Texags, and it is brutal in there. And Texags, man, I believe Texags, the only fan site on the planet that's bigger is Manchester United, if I'm not mistaken. There's a Manchester United fan site. So. It's uh, it's bad, Ari. It's yay, bad. Soccer. This is still like for all the flaws of AM, Jimbo has still put together is it the third or fourth best roster in the country? I think it's third. Yeah. So even if you can't get to the playoff, even if you lose your starting quarterback, who I think we all we both were on board that Connor Wegman had a lot of upside. I don't think you're going from you know Caleb Williams to Deacon Hill here when you get hit and you lose him. No, you're not. You're not. No. So, but it's important. You have to. You have all to provide these things, the context. But you're you're on the eight and four highway again, and you might not even be that. You gotta you gotta hit the gas pretty hard to get on the eight and four highway at this point. Uh, I need to look at the rest of A and M schedule here, but it can't be a good situation if you're sitting here where there's. Nothing in front of you that anybody is going to care about. Texas A and M has South South Carolina, Ole Miss, Mississippi State, at Ole uh, Miss. Abilene Christian, yeah, Abilene Christian, and LSU and at LSU. I think the only so, guaranteed win is Abilene Christian. Yeah, so seven and five ish. That's kind of where we. That's kind of where I think they're headed. Yeah, better than last year, which is saying literally nothing. I it's just, still not great, Bob. It's really not. It's really not. I, If you have $75 million, I mean, I guess, which Texas A&M seems to believe that they do have. I mean, I don't know what else you need to see. I, I think the question is, where do you go if you're going to do that? I, I Ari, I, I'm still of the belief that I'll believe it when I see it. If you could say you, you could say all these things, I'll believe it when I see it. Again, yep. it's worth noting okay. that the record for the biggest buyout ever paid is held by one 
Gus Malzahn, and I believe it is either 21 or 23. I believe it's 21.4 million from Auburn. So you're going to beat that by $54 million. <laughs> if there was a place that would, it is Texas A&M. Yes. Um, well, or Texas. So we'll, we'll see. We'll, we'll see. I don't what, think Texas we'll would happens, get themselves but, in this contract situation, but it is what it yeah. is. Yeah. Here, here's a few more results that I just want to, you know, we don't have to yeah. really break them down too much, but Mizzou uh, poured it on Kentucky in the fourth quarter and beat them 38 21 to improve to 6 and 1, 2 and 1 in the SEC. So good on them for doing so. Uh, Oklahoma State has a pulse now and beat Kansas. Yeah, that was really surprising. I thought Kansas was going to get two weeks in a row. Stillwater. Yeah, and and being through for 410 yards and five touchdowns, and it wasn't enough. Kansas State uh, champs Penn, for Oklahoma State. Congrats. Penn State beat UMass 63 to nothing, taking care of business. I watched the entire Alabama Arkansas game. I watched a lot. And. Alabama looked like they couldn't be stopped in the first half, and then it was just kind of the game slowed down a little bit in the second half. Uh, shout out to Arkansas for not giving up and playing tough. Yeah, I love KJ Jefferson. We don't have game. to do the whole Alabama conversation again, Ari, but watching that game just looked like Alabama is not a team that I didn't think they were sleepwalking or whatever. I think they just didn't. It's just play what they are. Well yep. for, yeah, that's, yep. that's who they are. So, And then lastly, Dave, I would be remiss if I didn't mention this. LSU beat Auburn 48 to 18. Uh, second consecutive week where they put up uh, almost 50 points in SEC play. They play Army next week. I don't know if this is the beginning of LSU's grand finale finish like they tend Make to do. Make those hotel reservations but, in Houston, baby. They're going. They're yeah. Going yeah. I don't know about Houston, but, you know, maybe Atlanta. Who knows? You never know what's going to happen in this conference. Yeah. But some interesting things. So, all right, let's go through the high five for the G5. Uh, yes. Do you want to do them, Dave? I'll do them tonight. Air Force. All right, you do them. You're you're the one who put them together, so you do them. Air Force lost fumbles on consecutive offensive snaps tonight. I did watch this game. I had this on my second screen for a while Uh, in the fourth quarter, but held off Wyoming, got a 58-yard touchdown run from John Lee Eldridge, the third. Extremely Air Force name there with 218 to play. Air Force 34, Wyoming 27. Uh, Wyoming going to be kicking themselves. They had a lot of opportunities to get that done. But Air Force, shout out. Also, I told you all Air Force was not just going to walk in there and kill them. That line was ridiculous, and it was never a 10-point game. Um, James Madison, still undefeated, absolutely destroyed a very good Georgia Southern team, picked off Davis Brin twice, still not able to go to a bowl game, still very stupid. I believe they're petitioning. I don't understand the rule I get if you're going down, but coming up, I truly don't understand this rule. Please fix this. This sucks. Uh, I'm sorry, Dukes. You're getting the job done. If the Dukes qualify, if the Dukes somehow bludgeon their way to the New Year's Six bid and aren't allowed to have it because they can't play in a bowl, I would be hard pressed to find a greater injustice in college sports history college football history maybe the only one that i can think that would be up there is k-state being undefeated and losing in the 1998 big 12 championship and being kicked down to the alamo bowl because the bowls just didn't want kansas state um and they have since well after that installed a rule that was the kansas state rule that prevented something like that from happening uh tulane rallied from a double digit deficit to beat mevis on the road friday night tulane's on a team probably got a case uh, to be ranked. Uh, I think in general, you're going to see Air Force probably crack the polls this week. Uh, them and Wyoming were close. They're probably still 
two of the 25 best teams in the country. But shout out to Air Force for getting that done. Shout out to Tulane, the Friday Nighter, Georgia State. Be Marshall at home, improved to five and one, two and one, and summed up play. Marshall's a good team. Georgia State can put some points on the board. Congrats to them. And on Tuesday night, if you missed it, Liberty rolled Jacksonville State 31-13 on the road. Stay undefeated, contending for that New Year's six bid for the G5. Shout out to Liberty. Jamie Chadwell and Caden Salter. I really thought that was going to be a match made in heaven. Caden Salter is not as good. He's like a baby Grayson McCall. Like, you watch him and you see a lot of the same things. Grayson McCall is doing his best to keep it going with Tim Beck uh, at Coastal. Uh, I don't know why Grayson McCall didn't follow um, Jamie to Liberty. I, I get it, wanting to stick around. But Jamie inherited a really, really good quarterback in Caden Salter, and they are a lot of fun. So, shout out to those boys. Good job, Dave. I'm proud of you. All right, well, that was an hour five and five minutes. I think we, we made it through a show without a producer and feel pretty good about it. Again, congratulations to Camelina yes. for getting married. Um, all the best of uh, your wonderful weekend and the rest of your life. Thank you guys for joining us for the live reaction show Saturday night. As a reminder, we will be back with you again tomorrow afternoon for the Sunday Sound Off show. So if you want to be a part of the Sunday Sound Off show, you have a thought, a feeling, a poem, a uh, hate mail, anything that you want to say to us and you want to say to the world, please call 316-462-9852. Again, 316-462-9852. You can call or text that not, that line. Uh, but if you call, leave a voicemail. We'll probably choose that over any texts. Um, wherever you're listening to the show, whether it's live on the YouTube channel Saturday night or Sunday morning on the podcast feed, please, uh, if you could be so kind to leave a review, share, like, subscribe, all the things that help the show continue to grow. It means the world to us and certainly, you know, continues to make the show better. So again, that was a crazy day on Saturday. A lot to discuss coming up to the rest of the weekend. A lot to discuss through the week. We'll have it all here in the until Saturday feed until Sunday afternoon. When Dave and I get back together again, that was Dave Oven. I'm Ari Wasserman. That was the edition.